I have a long-standing tradition, when appropriate, uh, of writing a sermon for baptism in the form of a letter to the child being baptized. I've done this again and again over the last 10 years. By baptizing a child, I will often write the sermon as a letter to them because they have no idea what's happening to them. And I'll, I'll preach this letter written to them, and I'll ask the family or the parents, in 10 years, pull this letter back out, read it to your child, let them read it so they can figure out why we did what we did to them. <coughs> I've done it again and again and again. But today is different. Because today we baptize my daughter, Phoebe Ren Mertens. Lindsay and I chose the name Phoebe for a great uh, number of reasons. For one, we love the musician Phoebe Bridgers. We love the sardonic wit of the actress and writer Phoebe Waller-Bridge. We also just really like the way it sounds when you say it. Phoebe. Uh, but we also named her Phoebe because of another Phoebe. The Phoebe who brought Romans to the Romans. In chapter 16, at the end of the book, uh, at the end of the letter, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, meaning one of us in the faith. She is a deacon and a benefactor to me and to a great many. She is called the first leader in the church. The word benefactor that Paul attributes to Phoebe, he only uses that word to refer to himself, Jesus, and Phoebe. I know sometimes it's a little hard for us to think about it being here where we are at this time, but Romans, this book, it's the first in the Pauline corpus. An ocean of ink has been spilled about this letter. Countless theological battles and wars have been fought about this letter. A great number of people have come to the faith because of this letter. And this letter was delivered and read aloud by a woman. The future isn't female. The present is female. The past is female. Without Phoebe, we would not have this letter. We would not have all these wonderful, wonderful scriptures. And that is why, dear Phoebe, we named you what we did and because we've been spending our whole summer in Romans, and because I can't think of writing my daughter a letter, I decided to take a letter and a line from Paul, and I decided instead to write all of you a letter, the church. So this is a letter to the church that baptizes my baby. Would you please pray with me? In the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. To the church about to baptize my baby. I know she's adorable. <laughs> the problem is I think she knows she's adorable. I've seen the way you all look at her on Sunday mornings. The way that even the most rigid adults that we have here at Raleigh Court will make complete fools of themselves to try to get her to smile. I can even hear her on Sunday mornings. She typically sits in the furthest back pew on the right side. I can hear her talking back to me. I think when I'm preaching, she thinks I'm only talking to her. So she talks back to Dad up here in a big dress. But what's more is I've noticed how many times you will look back at her when she's talking, and instead of being frustrated by the interruption, you turn back to me with your eyes glistening because you've seen this adorable, cute baby in church. I know that in a few minutes when we carry her forward to the font, this bowl and pitcher that were made by my youngest sister, I know that when we bring her forward, many of you will beam with pride. I've seen it happen again and again. There's something special about baptizing a baby. It reminds us of what the church is here for. It gives us hope for the days ahead. In short, baptizing a baby, it kind of just makes us feel good inside. But dear Raleigh Court United Methodist Church, be warned. Be warned. 
Because it won't be long before her little coos and giggles will turn into full-blown meltdowns in the sanctuary and in the hallways of this church. She will crush veggie sticks in her tiny fist, and she will stick them in the pew cushions on Sunday morning. This Advent, she's going to tear down some of our Advent decorations. And one day, she's likely to say something completely inappropriate just within the range of the microphone during Stephanie's children's message. She might even do it more than once. And later, after the wildness of her childhood, she will become a tweenager. Not quite a teenager, that in-between time, she will be a tweenager. And all of it will ramp up even more. She will grow and change and wonder. She will find ways to undo all of the good that you've done in her. No amount of vivious curricula, hymn sings, lemonades on the lawn can stop a child from growing in and even away from the faith. One day she's going to come to church with all sorts of questions that none of us can really answer. She'll say... How did Moses really part the sea to deliver God's people to the promised land? How did that really work? How did that happen? Did Jonah really live for three days inside the belly of a really big fish? Why did David have to get those 200 Philistine foreskins? And for that matter, what's a foreskin? <laughs> the Bible, rated PG-13. <laughs> She will push well-meaning Sunday school teachers, even random lay people in the pews, and probably a, a few first-time visitors, with all of her confusion. She will have all sorts of questions, and if you're not up to the challenge, she will likely conclude that everything you've taught her is suspect. And it's around that same time, as a teenager, that she will probably experience loss for the first time. Real loss. Like a friend, or a family member, a teacher, maybe even one of you. God only knows. And when it happens, you better not resort to cliches and half-truths because you think it will make her feel better. If you give her anything less than the promise of the resurrection of the dead, you might as well call yourselves Hallmark because you're not the church anymore. So prepare yourselves. The world will work its wonders on my daughter and tell her how to think and feel and speak. You will be her alternative. You might be her only alternative. While everything else in her life can topple and turn, you will be her constant. She will be confused about what everything means. But you, in word and action, you'll be the answer to many of her questions. But remember, dear church, mystery is a good thing. Case in point, her baptism. She will have no recollection of what you do to her. She might see a few pictures one day. She might even have some of you tell her stories years from now about what it's like. But we are the ones who make the promise. And baptism, like communion, it's not something to be mastered. We cannot comprehend it, and we certainly can't understand it. We can't wrap our heads around it any more than we can figure out why certain songs give us goosebumps and why sometimes we laugh so hard it makes us cry. Some things, in fact, some of the very best things, are mysterious. Maybe that's why they're so great. It's like that feeling you get in your belly when you meet someone for the first time. Or the smell of your grandmother's cooking. We can't really describe it. Some of the very best things in life cannot be described. The challenge is resting in mystery while the world is obsessed with nothing but certainty. Nevertheless, her baptism will do certain things to her. It will join her to Christ in the sacrament in the church. It will entail all sorts of things, seen and unseen. It will unite her with a community that extends across time and space, the past, the present, the future, to churches in all sorts of places. It will bring her into Christ's life. 
a life of service and sacrifice and salvation, it will set her on an adventure. And she will never know what the future holds, but she will have an idea about who holds the future. My daughter will come of age in a world that has no idea what the church is for. But, Stanley Harwash reminds us, the church exists to help the world see that it's the world. In other words, without the church, the world can never know there's an alternative to the way things are. You, church, are baptizing her into that alternative. You might call it the revolution of God. She will need people like you to embody and incarnate the difference so that she can know Jesus and him crucified. In Paul's letter, he writes about baptism as an inheritance, something that provides freedom and responsibility and hope that we would otherwise not have. And I confess to your church, I don't know what Phoebe will inherit. She might get my slap-your-thigh sense of humor. She might get her mother's beauty and wisdom and wit. I only pray that she gets Lindsay's hair and not mine. <laughs> Paul speaks of baptism as an inheritance because, generally speaking, the most determinative things in our lives are given to us, and we have no say in the matter. We don't get to choose our families. We don't, don't get to choose our names. We don't get to choose the color of our skin or the socioeconomic status of our parents. There are all sorts of things that decide so much of our life, and we have no say in them. Her baptism is another. But it's not just one of a, a, a number of things that will determine her life. It's the most determinative thing that will happen to her life. Because today, church, you're baptizing her into an inheritance that none of us will ever fully comprehend. But she is a child of God. Or as her great-grandmother likes to say, she's a precious lamb of Jesus Christ. When Martin Luther wrote about this part of Paul's letter, he said, It would be good if these words were written in letters of gold, how beautiful and wondrous they are. Karl Barth, who Phoebe will absolutely tire of hearing me quote all the time, calls this promise in Scripture the song of the redeemed. You, church, are the ones who will teach her how to sing this song that's written in gold. It's incredible stuff, really. Unbelievable, even. That all of us are God's children. That we all have an inheritance that can never be taken away. Moths and rust cannot corrupt it. It cannot be swept away in a flood or burned in a fire. It promises us a future when we cannot imagine how there can be anything left for us in life. And yet you will have to teach her about God's nevertheless. How in Scripture and in life, God always has a but. Or a yet. Luther could not come to understand the beauty of his inheritance without the turmoil that he experienced in Germany. John Wesley could not understand the power of grace without first experiencing disgrace. Martin Luther King Jr. could not stand much such injustice with a word of hope unless he had a yearning for things not yet seen. You are baptizing her into that radical kind of life. A life of glory and of struggle. Through you, she will come to see that the surest thing in the Christian life is cross and resurrection. Beauty and pain. What you do to her will set her at odds with the powers and the principalities of this life. And she will need all the help she can get. Paul says that the entire creation, all of the cosmos, is on its tiptoes waiting to see what God will do with the baptized. I know it's a bit odd to think of creation waiting with eager longing to see what we're going to do, but Phoebe will help you understand what it means. Because there will come a time in her life when what she needs most is a place where she is free to be herself, totally and fully herself, 
with her wonder and her doubt, with her faith and her fear. She will need a place where vulnerability is cherished and not criticized. She will need a place of grace. Because at some point, she's going to stop listening to your words, but she's going to be watching your actions. She will stop listening to your words, but she will be watching your actions. When she worships alongside you as a teenager, she's going to wonder if you're actually as friendly as you pretend to be on Sundays. She's going to wonder if you ever experience awe and mystery and wonder, or if you just show up because you think you're supposed to. She's going to wonder if this place is a museum for saints, or if it's a hospital for sinners. And at times she'll come to learn that people outside and inside the church really aren't that different. We all make the same kind of mistakes. The only real difference is that we know that God will never give up on us. We know that we're not defined by our mistakes. We know that God remains for us and that only God can tell us who we are. Church, Phoebe will come of age and look to you to see if and how the gospel changes things. She will need saints and sinners alike to know the power of the gospel. The most radical thing around turns things upside down, reorients our priorities, confronts us with the wild and wonderful truth that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Everything in her life can fade away. The things that we worry about all the time, our finances, our vocations, our homes, that kind of stuff, they're like sand. They can wash away as the tide comes in, but there is one thing that endures, one solid thing. That's Jesus. I think it makes a difference to know that Jesus remains no matter what else may happen. I know that Phoebe can live differently because of that promise. She can even be reckless with her life because nothing can ever take her away from the love that refuses to let her go. So church, remind her of that. Tell her. Show her the good news. Give her hope. That particular kind of hope. That ecclesial longing for things not yet seen. Why would we hope for what we can see? How boring. We worship the God of impossible possibility. The God who makes a way where there is no way. We hope for things that we cannot yet see. Help her to see, church, that she is being baptized into the great cloud of witnesses. The likes of Phoebe Palmer and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. The person to your right, the person to your left, and even you. But above all, church, give her Jesus. The source of all of our hope, all of our courage, all of our joy, all of our delight. Help her to see that she is baptized into his life. A life that has suffering, but it also has glory. And hopefully, just maybe, right before the water hits her head, you will also see the great and wondrous truth that what you do for her has also been done for you. That you wouldn't be here were it not for those who had taken the same covenant that you were about to make. Maybe you will see and know that there is always a place for you in God's church. That you're not defined by your sins, but only your salvation. A wonder of wonders, you will come to see now and believe that you too are a precious land of Jesus Christ. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever.